0: So take your Bibles and turn to the book of Leviticus. We are continuing our series in Leviticus that has as its main theme God making a way for unholy people to enter into his holy presence through making them holy. And before I say anything else, do you remember some time ago I told you about how I talked to Ryan and I felt like, yeah, he's kind of gifted at this. He has a knack at 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 reading scripture and sharing his thoughts from God's word and and he said, you know, my grandmother told me I had a gift at that. Well, his his grandmother is here today and so we're so excited and delighted to have you along with Ryan's parents again. You just never know what you're going to say that's going to stick. So keep that in mind, grandparents. God may use you to make a big difference. So we've been working our way through this this incredible structure in the book of Leviticus. I have a lot to say in the introduction. We're kind of short of time, so I'm just going to say we're now at the section that's in the yellow, these two different sections of chapters. It's on the theme of purity. And just to give you a little bit of a warning, you need to buckle up. This is going to be an awesome ride. All right, guys, so today we're one step
1: closer to the center of this book with chapter 11 through 15 on ritual purity and chapter 18 through 20 on moral purity. So I'm going to take you inside this text today and try to show you what it says and what it means, but I want to talk briefly about something I feel I would be remiss if I didn't bring up. It's not the focus of this lesson, but I think it needs mentioning. And it's in these spots in particular, in these sections of the purity, where someone can really get into Leviticus and start separating out laws into old laws and like laws that carry over, or laws that still matter and laws that God like changed his mind about. Eddie kind of hinted at this before in a previous lesson that someone might look at me, for example, and say, well, Leviticus 19.28 says not to get tattoos or have cut marks on your skin. Well, I mean, I've got those. and. But also Leviticus fifteen nineteen through 20 tells us that menstruating women are unclean. And if we touch a menstruating woman, uh, or even sit on a chair that she sat on, we become unclean, thus putting us in a state not suitable for the presence of God. I mean, I've, I've never had anybody come to say to me like, hey, Ryan, by the way, I just wanna give you a heads up, man. Don't sit in that chair. It's an unclean chair. And that kind of brings us back to the whole idea of these lessons. What's the point of studying this book then? I really hope I don't have to review that. But it's here in these sections we're told things like don't have sex with animals. It also forbids homosexual relations. Uh, We're told not to have sex with our relatives. And we're discouraged from eating dead animals that we find. All kinds of stuff that's really sound advice. But not all of it is explicitly repeated in the New Testament. So how do we reconcile that? I'm by no means suggesting we ignore that idea, quite the contrary. I recommend you do look into it, but today that issue is not my focus. Today I'm going to focus on ritual and moral purity. These chapters, this section on purity is really where the idea of knowledge, not laws shine through as I mentioned uh, back in lesson one. Here we see medical information long before man even knew what a germ was, moral advice, ideas on social equality, providing for the the poor, farming tips, but most importantly, we see how the Israelites were to prepare themselves to be in a state suitable for the presence of God. This section on purity kicks off with no shortage of weirdness with food laws, clean and unclean animals, Why exactly these laws are enacted, the text is just not clear. But they're separated into four animal groups as far as food goes. And first we're given qualifications for what's acceptable, and then some examples of what is clean and unclean. For some animal groups, we are only given examples. So first, animals that walk the earth. Of this kind, they must have a split hoof and chew the cud. Both pigs and camels have split hoofs but do not chew cud. Rabbits chew cud but do not have split hoofs. Pigs, rabbits, and camels are unclean. They couldn't eat or touch their flesh. Why? Again, the text is just not clear, but I've heard a lot of speculation. Animals who chew cud have multiple stomachs. This processes their food more. Uh, Toxins pass through the digestive system faster in a pig than they would a cow, thus potentially passing the toxins onto the meat. Where these laws, again, are potentially more practical than ceremonial, pork and other non-kosher meat uh, can carry a nasty illness called trichinosis. Look it up. It's radical. As for the split hoof, again, I just don't know. Next are animals in the water. Those must have fins and scales. This list excludes things like catfish, crustaceans, and sharks. Sharks are predators, and I've heard crustaceans being likened to the vacuum cleaners and cockroaches of the sea. Maybe the people of Israel were just really prone to shellfish allergies. Next, we see creatures that fly. For those, we're only given examples. We're told not to eat carnivorous birds of prey, scavengers, or bats. Following winged creatures, we're told to stay away from bugs except for those which have above their feet jointed legs with which to jump on the earth. Things like locusts, crickets, and grasshoppers were acceptable to eat. Next in the list of unclean animals is swarming things. The mole, the mouse, and the great lizard and its kind. Uh, We see what is to be done to become ritually clean if one of these things touches a bowl, a skin, or an article of clothing. What to do if you come in contact with the carcass of one of these animals. If one of those swarming things touches a stove, it should be smashed. If one of these things touches a seed for sowing, it's clean, but if it touches a seed for sowing that has had water put on it, it's unclean. Are you guys still with me? (laughs) To conclude this chapter, we get this, Chapter 11, 44 through 45. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself therefore and be holy for I am holy. You shall not make yourself unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy for I am holy. So a few things here. Holy means to be set apart or to be separate. And I've heard a better way to translate this or maybe to think of this verse is not be holy, but you are holy. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you are holy, for I am holy. Being holy is not what these people were being called to like physically do or a rank they were working to achieve. It's what and who they were. It was their identity because they were God's possession. And God is holy. Amen. So they are holy. Now on to chapter twelve, laws for motherhood, 12, 1 through five. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, When a woman gives birth and bears a male child, she shall be unclean for seven days, as the days of her menstruation. She shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of her for, of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then he shall remain; she shall remain in the blood of her purification for thirty three days and shall not touch any consecrated thing." nor enter the sanctuary until the day of her purification are complete. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall remain in the blood of her purification for 66 days. Then follows instructions for how mom is to become ritually clean again. And you look at chapter 11, 12, and you've got to ask, why? Really, what what's behind this? Crickets? Uh, yum, all you can eat, have your fill guys, shrimp, do not defile yourself with such detestable creatures. Or so a woman is unclean and has to give a sin offering just because she gave birth. I don't know. I don't completely get it, but I think there is a measure of faith involved here because I believe we don't always understand God and we don't like that. It's uncomfortable but I also believe his intentions are always in our best interest. Let me repeat that for you. We may not always understand God, and as uncomfortable as that may be, his intentions are always in our best interest. Moving now into chapter 13 and 14, the idea of man's best interest becomes a little bit more clear with leprosy laws. Chapter 13 and 14 also to me, help to clear up that previously mentioned idea of knowledge, not legislation. Chapter 13 gives us the test for leprosy in verse 1 through 4. These chapters are full of things like precautionary information, quarantine times, color and texture descriptions, instructions for the leper. For example, 1345 through 46, as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair on his head shall be uncovered. He shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. We're also given instructions for leprous garments. Chapter 14, 1 through uh, 32 are the ritual instructions on what to do if a leper is healed. And verse 33 to the end of the chapter are instructions on how to handle a leprous house, isolating the infection, making sure it doesn't spread to other things in the house, how to remove leprous marks, how to demo and restore a house, and ritual instructions on how to make the house clean again after it is cleansed of leprosy. And now for everyone's favorite section on Leviticus chapter 15, the laws concerning bodily discharges. Now, this one's odd. Interesting to me <laughs> because we have advice on good hygiene and hand washing. But remember, even though some of this stuff may serve a practical and hygienic purpose, the idea is ritual purity. So, as I see it, the main focus of this chapter is how to ritually handle a seminal emission or a woman's flow of blood. See, being in the state of uncleanliness or really any was not a sin. If a man has sex with his wife and has a seminal emission, if you will, that's not sinful. But bodily fluids and looking back at the previous chapters today, dead animals, skin diseases, things like these, they're all symbols of death and mortality. And what was wrong or sinful was to enter into the presence of God with these symbols of death and mortality on you. So now we're going to make the jump from ritual purity to the sections on moral purity that start off with laws of immoral relation. Verse 6 through 18 in chapter 18, in no shortage of examples, basically say, you can't have sex with your relatives. It even covers a loophole. No, you can't marry your wife's sister while your wife is still alive to have sex with her. Nor were you allowed to have sex with menstruating women. You couldn't have sex with your neighbor's wife or animals, and homosexuality was forbidden. Also, don't offer your children to Molech. That one might seem a little bit odd as if it's just kind of thrown in there, but uh, there is a lot to unpack here, and we just simply don't have the time to get into everything. So what's the point of all of that? And God tells us in 1824 through 30, do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have brought its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations and the land has become defiled, so that the land will not spew you out should you defile it, I dispute out the nations which are before you. For whoever does any of the abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Thus you are to keep my charge, and do not practice any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you, so as not to defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. This point is made at the beginning and end of chapter 18, but again, it's an idea we see all over this book, and that is, God wants his people to be different from the other peoples. Those other peoples in those lands, they're full of sin. The actions and lifestyles of those people is not how God wanted his people to live. So he's saying here, let me show you how it's done and continues to do so in chapter 19. You are holy because I am holy. Honor your parents. Keep the Sabbath. Don't worship idols. Take care of the needy, the poor, and the stranger. Don't reap the very corners of your fields or gather fallen fruits. Leave it for them to eat. God calls his people to a higher standard of ritual and moral purity. Again, I wish I had time to break down this whole chapter. There's some really odd things in here, but still a lot of very apparent things. Don't make tattoo marks or cut marks in your skin. That's what the other people do. Don't be like them. Don't sell your daughters into harlotry. Honor your elders. Treat strangers in your land as if they were natives and love them. Keep an honest and just scale for weighing and measuring. And then we get a simple and clear call to faith and obedience. 1937. You shall thus observe all my statutes and all my ordinances and do them. I am the Lord. Finally, in chapter 20, we get the penalties for breaking these laws where basically the commands from chapter 18 and 19 are listed and the penalties for disobedience follow. Many of the penalties are death. I think God's saying, look guys, here's all the the ways to get right with me. Here's how to commune with me. Here's how I want you to live. Here's how to do it. But there are some things that we just don't do. There are some things you can't come back from. So here it is, spelled out, plain and simple. So if any of you guys were sleeping or maybe tuning me out here, this is what I want you to take home. We look at these ritual and moral purity guidelines from the food that went into their mouths to the fairness of their scales to the privacy and intimacy of their bedroom and all of these places in between. It's clear to me that God wants to be present in every aspect of human life willingly. He wants to have people's hearts and have them openly
0: and completely So nobody's fallen asleep this morning. <laughs> one of, one of the advantages that I have sitting up here is to look at your faces. You know, you're sitting there looking at Ryan and all of a sudden. <laughs> I told you to buckle up. Ryan's job was to do what he, he did what his job was to tell us what it says. Hey, uh, we're going to stick, Seth, with that. Slide only, okay? Ryan's job was to tell us what does it say. He did that. Then he took us to, you just you don't have time. to go. There's so much, so many details that are there that you could go off on so many rabbit trails. And so his primary objective was to say, this is what it says, and here are the primary truths of, of what it means. Now, my job is to say, well, what does that mean for us? So what I want to do in, in our time that is remaining. Is I'm just going to hit you with eight bullet points. And with each of these bullet points. There's a lot of details to share. About what it means for you. But I love the involvement of the Holy Spirit with us this morning. That I don't have to spell it out. That he has this beautiful way of convicting you. And speaking to you directly. So I'm going to share with you just these points as as they are brought out. All of them are brought out in the New Testament. Primarily, I really could work out of Ephesians. You might want to read through Ephesians and see these points that are beautifully described. I will read these and then I will repeat them in a form of a question as we go into our entire time of prayer. And these will be basically somewhat of a summary of what Ryan has shared with us. What does this mean for us Holiness is not simply what we do. Oh, you got to get that because it's not, oh, I've got to follow those rules in Leviticus. Holiness is not what we do, but it's, it's who we are. It's who God has made us to be. But so what's incredibly important, point number two, is though God has made us holy, we're still called to strive to live in holiness. And so the question is, well, what does that look like? It looks like God. Point Number Three, we are called to be holy, like God is holy, nothing less than the image of character of God that 's what first Peter does in, in his letter in, in first Peter chapter one, as he 's quoting Leviticus, he says. Just as he who called you to be holy is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. We may say, well, no one is perfect. I'm only human. That's only us lowering the bar and accepting in our lives what is not acceptable. God calls us to live out his image. That's a high bar. Point number four, and Ryan brought this up in, Wow, does Leviticus make it clear? We are to be holy in every aspect of our lives. God leaves absolutely no stone unturned. In Leviticus, well, what about this? Not that. What about this? Not that. What about this? There's nothing it, about how you use your body, about what you do with your family or those that are not in your family, about what you eat, about what you wear, about your relations in your bedroom, or out of the, wherever it is, we are called in every aspect. And that's what Peter says in 1 Peter, so be holy in all that you do. Not most all, not some of what, or mostly on Sundays. God's holiness is to penetrate and be evident in every moment, every aspect, every relationship, every place. And then to summarize, it's clear also in the New Testament, we're to be different. That means we're to be holy. That's another way of saying it. And it's not go out there and try real hard to be different. It's not that. Go out there and seek to follow Jesus and live out the image of God and you will be different. And if you're not different, then it begs the question, are you truly following Jesus? We are called to be different from the world. That's a monstrous message in Leviticus. It's a huge message in the New Testament. And we might say, well, all that stuff, well, point number six, living in holiness is of utmost seriousness to God. We may say, well, those harsh laws in the Old Testament and the penalties for those violations, that's the Old Testament. Read the New Testament. God has not changed. Living in holiness is of utmost seriousness to God and we as well should take our lives seriously in reverent fear. And I love these two final points because if you're thinking, I just can't do all that. I just can't live up to God's character. This is a monstrous point in the New Testament. We are empowered to holiness by his Holy Spirit. It's there, read it, especially in Ephesians. God isn't asking us to be and to do what he hasn't equipped us to do. It's by his spirit. And then finally, perhaps this is the most important point. I think maybe God is going to make that clear next week. God has made provision for when we fall short of his holiness because you're reading Leviticus and you're hearing what I'm saying. Is, Man, I just I messed up there. I messed up there. I messed up there. And God has made provision. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. That's, that means God says, I don't want that of you. I don't want you to sin. I want you to live holy lives. But listen to the next phrase. He says this, but if anybody does, and that's like in parentheses, God's saying, and we know We know that you will. He goes on to write, if anyone does, we have one who's gone before the Father, Jesus Christ. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and for the sins of the world. Take that word atoning and file it away. Next week, we will look at the core of the book Leviticus and it will show us the day of atonement, a foreshadowing of the provision God has made through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna close now with a prayer and I'm gonna take those points I just made and I'm gonna ask them in a direct questioning to you and then we're gonna go into our time of prayer. We're gonna ask our, our, our shepherds to, to be available to, to receive you for prayer this morning. Our prayer team is in the prayer room as well. Would you stand with me as we go into this time of prayer? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take these questions that I ask and I ask that you would use them to penetrate each one of us individually as we have need. Do you see yourself as a holy one of God? And do you strive to live according to that identity? Do you strive each day to be holy as God is holy? Or have you lowered the bar for your life? Do you strive to be holy in every aspect of your life, or have you kind of like compartmentalized your holiness—only in certain places, at certain times, with certain people, but not with certain people in certain places at other times? Are you different from the world? Are you walking in his spirit that his spirit might empower you to holiness? And do you find yourself having fallen short of his holiness? And if you have, please know God has made provision. He's given us a reset, a chance to start again through forgiveness in Jesus Christ as we turn to him, as we cry out to him and confess our lives before him.
1: It's not hard to, to be a Christian some of the time. It's really not that difficult to be a disciple most of the time. But um, maybe I'm just speaking too personally here, but to be a disciple all of the time can be difficult. So we please ask you that you help us live out our holy identity, that you help us to strive to a higher standard, Help us to be the light that is our Messiah. Please, Lord, help us to keep you in every aspect of our life, not just in church or not just around other people, but all of the time. Amen.
0: Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.